0: Hi everyone. This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to be discussing Red Green in March of the Machine. As always, the notes are available to follow along at Patreon.com/DraftingArchetypes. Red Green, as far as format positioning, has only a very slightly below average win rate for the format, slightly more appreciably below average for a two-color deck. Only performing better than white black and red black. And it's the second least drafted color pair and only barely ahead of blue green. They're basically the same. No one really drafts either one of them very much. And with blue green, I posited that I thought that that was likely because if you're going to be blue green, you probably are not straight blue green. You're most likely playing more colors. With Red Green, I think the story is a little bit different. With Red Green, I think the issue is that there's no real reason to draft Red Green, which brings us to the awkward part of doing a podcast about it. So, as you likely know, uh, I determine what I'm going to talk about each week via a poll on Patreon, and I had been not offering Red Green as an option because I didn't really have experience with it and didn't really know what to say about it. And this week I figured I'd been avoiding it long enough and I would include it as an option and I kind of didn't think that it would win the poll. It did, apparently people are curious about it and whether there's anything there, and unfortunately I'm here largely to report that I don't think there is. We're going to explore that a bit and then figure out how to make the best of it. But uh, this is not an archetype that I recommend trying to draft. If anything, I would recommend trying to avoid it. The central issue is that there's no draw. The uh, like the red, green, gold cards are uh, not good. Rampaging Geoderm, the 4-mana 3-3 three, three haste trample, that gives something plus one plus one, and it's a counter if the things attacking a battle is the only playable gold uncommon, and it has like the same win rate in red green as say wary thespian, uh, the two mana uh, three one surveil creature, which is not really a draw to a color pair. The other uncommons are uh, like actively bad. So like with white black, you're not really getting paid off with an uncommon. Also like with white black, it's like theoretically stated thing isn't a thing like red green is theoretically supposed to be the like battles color but it doesn't really have more or better battles than the other cards instead it has some common creatures that have abilities when they attack battles but you generally don't want to play very many battles and the abilities when the creatures attack battles aren't very significant. And so if you build around red greens thing, you basically just have a bunch of slightly understated abilities with kind of meaningless flavor text. That's not the re- the recipe for success. Uh, as we've seen with this format in general, Uh, most of the like battles underperform and decks generally do better with fewer battles rather than with more battles so having an archetype that's about leaning into playing a bunch of battles is kind of a trap so for the most part you're not really looking to acknowledge red green's thing at all and you just end up playing the good red and green cards that you see which means to me that it's very, very difficult to assemble cards in such a way that the sum is greater than the parts in red, green, which is generally the thing that I'm striving to do in a draft is you know get more value than the sum of the parts of my cards, and so like I really tried to look for some something like some kind of unifying game plan or an angle. Looking at uh, like the performance of individual cards in red-green, the answer was basically that like none of the commons are particularly good. You know, like Volcanic Spite and Overgrown Pest and Arachnoid Adaptation, like the cards that have good stats on 17 lands have better stats than the other cards in red-green. But very, very, very few uh, red-green cards have like, even decent stats, even in red-green. So you're really just playing some cards. And then the question is, okay, like, when you play the red and green cards, what do they do? And the answer is, as far as I can tell, that you basically want to think about this uh, like kind of an old-school sealed deck format where you want individually high-impact cards, uh, removal where you can get it, to be generally proactive, but not, like, small or low-curve particularly. You want to be just kind of, like, balanced curve of creatures that attack reasonably well. Uh, so clunky creatures that I generally like to avoid, like Chomping Kavu, the 4-mana, uh, 3-3, three, three, backup one, uh, creatures with power two or less can't block this. And Onake Javelinier, the 5 mana 5-4 five, reach that can tap to do damage to a creature or battle, are relatively playable in this archetype. They're not good, you shouldn't take them high, but they're the kinds of cards that like end up going in red-green decks, and what they're doing is basically what red-green is doing. You're playing cards that uh are definitely going to be worth at least one card your opponent might have to like double block or block and use a trick to deal with your bigger numbers and that's like where you're getting your card advantage from and then you're uh attacking your opponent and trying to uh end the game and that's what's up yeah just very very you know normal fundamental creatures removal bombs where you can get them uh, with you know a mindset toward ending the game and being proactive but not in a way that involves trying to like go really small ball and go under your opponent you're trying to go over and through your opponent uh, as opposed to setting up a wall or uh, something like that lithomantic barrage the red uh, sorcery that does one damage to your creature or Uh, five damage to a white or blue creature and can't be countered is a strong card in best of one that i've been underrating has notably good stats and uh fearless scald which i've talked about a few times before the five mana three two double strike backup one gives double strike when it backs up is best performing uncommon by quite a bit which i think really tells you a decent amount about what's going on here uh classic red green big proactive decks fearless scald leans into exactly what these things are trying to do and you know if you can combine fearless scald with something with trample or uh like a chomping copy that your opponent can't block uh even better but for the most part you're really just on you know fundamentals uh draft a decent curve and don't really like get too lost in the weeds on trying to make battles happen there are some uh battles that are good and sometimes you do end up with like an appreciable attack these battles sub theme mercadia is okay and ixalan is very good that one showed up pretty commonly when i was looking at red green trophy decks and uh then you know if you have some of these like higher you know the the better uh cheap battles then it makes more sense to play some war historians and stuff like that to be good at flipping them but yeah there, there's not much going on so chat has mentioned the best and only real draw in terms of like a card you can open that's putting you in red green is uh Cogla and yodaro which is a fantastic card I've seen it go very late in pack one, presumably due to people trying to avoid uh, drafting red green, which I think is reasonable. I uh, am not enthusiastic about first picking Kogla and Yodaro because it's so hard to have like a good deck that uses it, I think. Um, but the card itself is very, very clearly fantastic. Another thing that has made me want to be red green is starting a draft with Atali, the 7-mana seven 7-7 seven, seven dinosaur that uh, casts the top spell from each player's library, which has the very large advantage of being able to be selected when you're uh, triggering an Overgrown Pest. And Overgrown Pest to dig for uh, Itali. when that card is so good is definitely something that I like to look for. Overgrown Pest is one of the best card commons in red green, uh, which again tells you that this is kind of just a like mid rangey value kind of deck, except that like you need to be more, you know, this isn't like green black mid-range value where you're just kind of trying to like make the game go long and grind people out. This is, you know, more proactive mid-range. Um, you know, you're more likely to have removal that's good against small creatures and not good against big creatures. So you're more likely to be pressured to end the game before your opponent has a big creature, and you're less likely to have like good grindy late game stuff. And so you don't really want to get into a grindy late game. But uh, if you're in a spot where the thing that you're doing is digging for some kind of bomb that's going to end the game, like uh, Kogla or Itali then that kind of handles this issue where you might not want to be in a late game with other decks if you have way better rares than them then you're probably a lot happier to be in a late game with them yeah i basically this is to say the red and green commons are bad the red and green uncommons are mostly bad but there are individual red and green uncommons that are good and the red and green rares are the reason that you would want to be in red and green. But once you're there because of the rares, the lower rarity cards are just kind of cards that you have to fill your deck with, uh, and then you hope that your rares shine. I don't necessarily love that that's what there is to say about this archetype, but I do think it's the truth about this archetype. You would rightfully conclude from this that you shouldn't draft red-green for the commons and uncommons. If you're drafting red-green, it should specifically be because of the rares. And if you're drafting red and green rares, there is a good chance that you should not necessarily try to focus on being specifically or exactly red green and instead be you know a multicolor green deck that includes and uses your red cards, um, especially because a lot of the best red and green rares are expensive, which means that you're relatively happy to play cards like overgrown pest and bladed burgeoning that make it easy to splash strong cards from other colors. Notably on that end, Emoti, for example, has, I believe, the second best win rate of any uncommon in red-green after Fearless Scald, which again, you know, says something about maybe just being red-green isn't the right way to approach things. Yeah. And then if you're trying to do uh go further into the battles thing, then you know, there's a good chance that you want to like splash other colors to get access to other battles. This is where like invasion of Ergamon, the red uncommon battle that you know rummages and makes a treasure and then flips and finds a battle comes up. The card that card is very bad. However, if you have really strong battles to search for and you're playing a bunch of the attack battles type things you might be able to have a deck where it's functional i just think that that deck is unlikely to be red green and is unlikely to come together and isn't really something that you should be prioritizing or like thinking about as like what red green actually does in practice so i think i think that's basically what i have to say about red green you know, for the most part, uh, just don't. But uh, bombs kind of always have the ability to trump uh, color and archetype preferences. Uh, if you see the right bombs, you want to draft a deck that's going to uh, very consistently cast them and play a game where you're going to live to cast them. And red and green can potentially be the way to do that uh, for certain combinations of various and certain seats. So with that said, I'm going to turn it over to uh, chat for uh, follow-up questions and discussion. Of course, as always, I want to direct anyone to patreon.com slash uh that you would like to um, support the podcast and um, get uh, further involved in the community such as it is uh please um check that out all right so why is arachnoid adaptation performing so well in 17 stats generally and in red green touched on this a little bit before uh so part of this is honestly one mana combat tricks uh very frequently overperform in 17 land stats kind of across formats i think part of that is ju- just that players underrate one-mana combat tricks like it's not that rare for a one-mana combat trick to save or kill a creature that costs three or four mana and when you do that you have generated a very mana efficient exchange and often pulled ahead by a full turn anytime you can actually uh two spell in a way that like very positively affects the uh battlefield you you've really accomplished something and then it can also uh just like really swing a race to um untap a creature as a surprise kill an attacker um push even pushing extra damage can throw off uh math on when a game's gonna end and so i i think a lot of it is just like it's easy to see the floor of a combat trick uh games where you you know try to do it and you get blown out or where you don't find a combat that comes up where it's going to happen and it's easy to uh just try to avoid them because of like that fail state but the success story here is very appealing and The numbers suggest that uh you know limited is about combat and combat tricks just fundamentally work so a lot of it is really not so much about like this archetype or this set or even this card it's just about people sleeping on specifically one mana combat tricks just across limited formats red green is historically a true beatdown color but it can't hang in this set how much of the blame do you put on the two drop and suppose uh, one drop red and green common creatures just being bad well i mean certainly if red and green had better one and two mana creatures uh they would be better at beating down as to red and green historically being a true beatdown color i don't know that i would agree with that i think that red and green historically Very frequently struggles in limited because it is not structured to be the fastest beatdown deck. Red White, for example, is a lot more likely to have better one and two drops and a better, like, small, fast, aggressive plan. Whereas Red Green is generally structured to have good, like, three, four, and five mana creatures and to be trying to play this kind of like big proactive game. And I think part of it is just that like wizards hasn't figured out how to make good four mana common creatures, like three, four and five mana creatures that are designed to hit in constructed at high rarities are just on a completely like world's different power band than the common creatures at those costs and when removal is designed to uh kind of like keep up with like the stronger rares and stuff like that it ends up just really embarrassing the expensive common creatures and where red green is usually about those expensive common creatures Uh, it really struggles, especially in formats with good, efficient removal, which I think this format is. So to me, I think that what we're seeing is less something exceptional about red-green and more something structural about the amount and kinds of power that are attributed to uh, common creatures at different casting costs. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the next few years we start seeing just like much better four and five mana common red and green creatures, assuming that Wizards wants to continue to make red green about kind of this like bigger creature game. Like at some point, they have to realize that it is just like makes red green kind of weak and uninteresting in most sets. And we just need creatures to like do more specifically in a way where they're trading negatively with removal or combat tricks less. I think Invasion of Ergamon belongs in the Jund space. Jund, Jund gives you Render Inert, a premium battle flipping spell for uh, battles you're going to be running, and a uh, reason to run Amonkhet, Asgol, and the Uncommon space. Yeah, so, I mean, this is what I was talking about, about how you can splash battles if you have, or you can play battles if you have more colors to play better battles. I do think that like the deck where you play a whole bunch of battles is very risky because if you draw multiple battles, you sometimes don't draw cards to pressure any of those battles. And as you're taking turns off of like developing threats that can attack battles and your opponent's playing more creatures and you're just playing more battles, you can fall further behind and it can get harder to flip each of your battles. And then you're also putting yourself in a spot where you're having like questionable mana and needing to take time fixing your mana, and then you also need to be like getting threats down that can attack battles and getting the battles down. And the whole thing just seems like relatively clunky and high risk to me. I think that it's potentially something you can do when you get those like strong battles. But I don't know that like including Red to have Ergamon to like help Make your mana work to like try to flip these like just cut a color and only play the good battles. And I think you're going to be in better in a better spot most of the time. What about kite sail in red green? I worry about spending so much mana to equip a creature that you've spent a good amount of mana for just because you're leaning even harder into the lose to removal situation i i think through rather than over is kind of a better approach for red green like rather than trying to have evasion just have like trample and pumps and just attack into their blockers also you run into the like spot where you only have so many so much room for non-creatures and i think a removal spell is just going to serve you a lot better than kite sail and red green there's some discussion about how green struggles to deal with flyers. On that note, I did actually see some trophy red-green decks playing a Fall, the two-mana sorcery that kills a flyer enchantment, I think, artifact or battle. You know, relatively versatile removal spell, but sorcery speed and only kills flying creatures generally not a very good card but it wasn't shocking to like see it in some red green decks specifically you start with a couple of great red and green cards that you want to prioritize playing you should just focus on should you just focus on red green or try to look for john timor lane uh, to increase your power level common and uncommon looking to be another color is generally a trap Uh, I've seen some uh, drafts where someone starts with like a strong part of a color or pair of colors that they don't really trust. And then they're like looking for any excuse to pivot into like a color they're more comfortable with or more confident in. And most of the time it ends up looking like if they're going to try that hard to avoid the color that they drafted, they should have just not taken the card in that color to begin with. I think that you should be open to pivoting or going into another color when you see a strong card or clear sign that you should do that. But I think that it's really, really dangerous to uh, proactively try to move out of the lane that you're in. It just feels like you're forcing but not really meaning it, and you end up with a real mess a lot of the time. So I think that, you know, if you start with strong red and green cards, it's good to just lean into like, okay, I'm going to try to make this work as long as the packs are letting you do that. But if it's clear that there's another lane, then, of course, you should be pivoting into the open lane, especially if you can get into uh, like stronger base colors, especially if you can like still support the strong cards that you already have. I've always felt the beat stick is pretty important to the red green pile to ramp out threats. Does this match up with your own experience? Yeah, I think that beat stick uh, has, I think like the thing that you might be trying to do with kite sail, I would much rather do with beat stick. It can help you cash the big threats and it uh, can, you know, give your like big creatures something that approximates uh, evasion or at least like puts your opponent in a spot where you have to lose two creatures to kill your creature. And you can just kind of two for one them f- like for a while that way. I think, I think beatstick stick uh, plays relatively well in red green. Theoretically, what do you think would be the goal of each of the three color pairs that include red green, assuming your mana was good enough to support it. So what do Naya, Jund, and teamer look like Naya weird. Because, like, all of the parts of Naya are, like, theoretically, broadly in the, like, backup aggro space and trying to be pretty aggressive. And, um, like, three-color aggro isn't generally where I want to be. So I assume that Naya is, like, likely a heavy backup pile of bombs, proactive, but, um... You know with a bunch of rares that attack and some okay fixing and uh, a mana base that's not quite as good as you want teamer is pretty classical you know green x style card advantage fixing removal and bombs jund is also in this space right like you have like less card advantage more removal And you're just kind of, you know, doing the, like, grindy bombs and removal and rares. Kill their stuff. Cast your strong cards. uh, Play kind of a long but slightly proactive game. Do you think Gruul being underwhelming could be from the lack of support on the multiverse legend sheet? Uh, Gruul legend is domain-focused. Green legend is plus one counter-focused. I mean, it certainly doesn't... Like, that's all part of it, right? Like, the issue is... That the like gold support for red green um, is pretty weak, such that you're not really getting paid for being like the one person at the table who's in that lane, and that could be fixed either by having a stronger multiverse legend rare or just a stronger like base set rare. It just needs some kind of like payoff for being the person who's looking for that color pair. But if you try to make an Imperiosaur deck in red green. I would try to play Imperiosaur if I had the opportunity to. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily specifically prioritize red once I had it, though obviously cards like Rouse Reinforcements play really well with it, and it is a fantastic rare in red-green, but, you know, I, I'm really just happy to have an Imperiosaur in basically anything. Well, I come clean that red-green is probably okay, but I'm just addicted to Raph and unwilling to give it a chance. So, as I said, the stats on red green are acceptable, uh, below average, but not like this is unplayable. They're significantly better than like white black, which I think has some hope. And there are rares that like should, you know, make you draft red green. The issue is just that I don't think that you should ever be looking to do it because even if you know that it's like under drafted, there's nothing that will reward you for being the person who's in it. You can't say like, oh, no one's drafting red, green specifically. So now I'll get all the red, green cards because there are no red, green cards that you want to get. And so that that's the real problem with it as to I'm specifically unwilling to give it a chance because its play pattern is different than the play pattern that I like. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, The. the um, mid-range, proactive, nuts and bolts space uh, is definitely um, something that I look to avoid. Uh, I really do like to find ways to uh, use each of my cards in a way that uh, you know makes them more valuable than their kind of like base rate. And red green doesn't do that, and my unwillingness uh, to try to draft the, you know, just nuts and bolts, creature and removal type limited decks, uh, is not necessarily exclusively a strength. There is certainly, you know, creatures and removal are a reasonable plan to win the game. And the fact that, uh, I'm not excited by what this color combination offers does not actually mean that the color combination is unplayable or can't win. And so, While I don't think it's something where, like, there's any value to be gained by specifically trying to find a way into this lane, I do think that it's something that, like, I am going to, like, disproportionately low to how much it can win. So while I suspect that that was largely a joke, there's certainly truth to it. And I think that's... A reasonable note to wrap this up on so um thanks everyone for listening as you've likely uh noticed if you are listening to magic content um we have reached the stage in uh the magic product release cycle where we are starting to get uh spoilers for uh the next set the lord of the rings set as i understand it this is a like full-size set that is draftable and I think will be on Arena, but that is not legal in Arena formats. I need to figure out exactly what's going on with that and exactly how much to focus on it. I think that I'm going to be covering it seriously, unless it's like not on Arena. So yeah, I I think that I'll be able to fully cover that set. So I think that we're getting toward the end of March the Machine's coverage, but I would expect that at least next week is also going to be March of the Machines. And uh, next week, I'll try to have a more coherent understanding of how Lord of the Rings works and what my plan is in terms of uh, coverage and focus. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. Prepare for Lightspeed.